The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane's newest Patreon episode. These are my favorite to record because I get to hang out with friends and talk about nerdy stuff. And I'm so happy to have my friend Carrie Harris with me today. Hi, Carrie. Hey, Chad. How are you doing? I'm good. It was a very productive day. I uh, I tackled podcast scheduling today and then client billing. So that's always, uh, when I get that stuff off my list, I always feel better. It's kind of like juggling cats, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. And I tend to go three months ahead. So uh, it's December. We're recording this December, what, 10th? I don't know what the date is. 8th. It's the 8th. Uh, and I just extended the podcast schedule into early March, and I've got some truly wild stuff planned, but it's always really fun conceptualizing what's coming next. Oh, yeah. Well, it's fun listening to it, so I've got well, to believe it's got to be fun to put it together. I love that we get to record on a day when I just put an episode with you out. Uh, we just uh, released the giant-sized Gwen Stacy episode just today, and we get to record, even though this won't come out for about 10 days afterward. Yeah, you can't escape me. I've got some water. Well, nor would I want to, my friend. I've got some water. I've got a half glass of wine. And when we're done recording, I'm going to go see Moulin Rouge live. So uh, it's, it's a good day. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't measure up. Gosh, I got to be on my A game if it's well, a you, Moulin Rouge day. You had pizza, so. Yeah, <laughs> it was my excuse. Carrie, before we jump into our characters for today, tell us a little, or tell our guests who may not be familiar with you, uh, assuming they haven't heard you on the show, where might they know you from? Because you're amazing and they should know you. Uh, well, I, I am uh, prolific. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, I write novels for Marvel, um, a few other licenses and some original works. Um, in Marvel, I've written um, an X-Men book and um, featuring Tempest and Triage. And I've also done um, a novella. I've done Ghost Rider and The Witches. I've done um, The Avengers. And um, I have hopes For that I'm not done yet. <laughs> now, in, in the episode we just released, you talked about a short story comic book that you're putting out this month, correct? I, I think so. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I actually it? just got letter to pages um, about three minutes ago, like, well, or right before we started. So as soon as we're done, I'm going to get to see the letter. I, uh, I've published a comic book before. I know how exciting it is to get every single page of art in at every process of this uh, stage of the process. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've done a graphic novel, but I've never done short pieces. And I'd really like to do like a monthly book. I potentially have a graphic novel coming out next year. It's going to depend on how the art stuff comes together. But I've commissioned an artist and I'm waiting for those first little moments. I, uh, my, my last, I mean, I did a bunch of Marvel stuff, but my last uh, creator on stuff was 10 years ago. It's called The Mushroom Murders. And I mm -hmm. still fondly remember, I talked about it on my show a little bit, but earlier this year, there was a local group that did an opera based on my graphic novel. And it was amazing. <laughs> How fun is that? It was great. Uh, so Carrie famously, well, famously to me, uh, has a very favorite X-Men character uh, who is the infamous Kitty Pride, a.k.a. Sprite, a.k.a. Ariel, a.k.a. Shadowcat, a.k.a. the Red Queen. Uh, she is wonderful. Tell us about your love of Miss Kate Pride. Well, first of all, she has all the names, which is kind of the coolest, but when I was young and I first got into superhero comics, um, you know, you're kind of looking for somebody to relate to. And sadly, I was not an Amazonian princess or worshipped as a goddess or, you know, possessed by an alien force. None of those things had happened to me yet. There's still time. Um, but Kitty was somebody that I could relate to. and. Um, before it was cool to write fanfic, I used to write 
self-insert fanfic about me and Kitty Pride. She was my neighbor. And um, we used to go on adventures together. We solved mysteries and there were a lot of, there was a lot of boy trouble because that was the age I was at. <laughs> it's a very babysitter's club. <laughs> oh yeah. And then, you know, later on you grow up and you come to terms with things about yourself. And uh, she was, she was one of my first girl crushes. Like I can't decide if I want her to be my bestie or I wanted to date her. But either would have been fine. Well, you know she's effectively bisexual in the comics now. Right? I know. Well, she has always been bisexual. I knew it. But now she kissed the girl <laughs> and she liked it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are uh, there are seminal moments of her development as a character that just stand out as so iconic to me. I mean, Professor X is a jerk is one of those moments. There's that moment where she designs her own costume and it's just this nonsense 80s mishmash of like a bunch of terrible fashions all together. Uh, there's her leaving Colossus at the altar. I mean, for heaven's sakes, there's so many great moments. Uh, we're recording this on December 8th. Just yesterday, Chris Claremont released uh, Extreme X-Men number one, which is the flashback to the follow-up of the series. The first like 10 pages are all just gorgeous Kate Pride. Uh, and then uh, the new Immortal X-Men issue that just came out by Karen Gillan features Kate. Uh, she is ballsy. She is bold. She is. Uh, she loves her booze and her pirate ships. <laughs> I think she's amazing. Oh, I am so here for Pirate Kate. The minute I there's that one image with her with her fists up and she's got the hold fast. And then it, and then later changes it to Kill Shaw, which is amazing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, Kate Pride is one of the few characters that we've actually got to see grow up in the comics. Uh, Ileana Rasputin kind of, uh, Jubilee kind of, but she's a character that has aged and grown uh, directly in front of our eyes. People love her so much. She's rarely out of the books for long. X-Men to Excalibur to various other teams. Uh, 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 Hellions, uh, not, excuse me, not Hellions, Marauders into Immortal X-Men more recently. Uh, she's amazing. Uh, I love this character. She represents something in the X-Men franchise that's extraordinarily uh, special, I think. Uh, and, you know, Claremont gave us the Jewish character on the page that was openly Jewish. It was a major part of her character, which is such an indelible association uh, yeah. for this character with the X-Men franchise. Um, uh, any thoughts on that? Um, I mean, yes. <laughs> Pretty much just agree, agree, agree. I think... Um, the other thing about Kate Pride, you know, you brought up the fact that she's Jewish. Um, and I I moved to a neighborhood. Uh, we moved cross country. We bought our house over Zoom, did not realize we were moving into an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood. And, uh, you know, we've like I've been talking to my neighbors. We hang out. Uh, we just had our Christmas cup party. And, um, you know, one of the things that that we were talking about was the fact that Kate Pride is Jewish, but that's not her entire identity. Of course not, yeah. It's not her, it's not the center of her trauma. It's not, she she is more than this. She's not one dimensional token. She's not the one dimensional token Jew. I adore um, the complexities of characters. Yeah. She's a, she's a ninja, she's a pirate, she's a tech wizard. She's an incredibly powerful mutant and a leader and a teacher. Uh, and she's Jewish. It's all of those things mixed into one yeah. person. And bisexual. <laughs> Always was, damn it. <laughs> now, on my podcast, we've been so focused on the 60s. These Patreon episodes and in some of the flashback episodes we've been doing more recently have allowed me to kind of branch the podcast into other areas of the X-Men universe a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, if you heard the episode we did with Uncanny X-Men Minus One, where it's Madame Sanctity and the Phoenix and time travel and nonsense and crazy. I'm like, yeah, this is a very different feel to this podcast as we're weaving things together. And 2023 is going to have a whole bunch of that. But one of my primary focuses when I set out to do the Patreon episode is I wanted to do the su supplementary, obscure, or supporting characters. And that includes the families of the X-Men. So I've done episodes on the Drakes, on, uh, on the Monroes, uh, and there's been a couple of others, the Greys most recently. And today we get to talk about the Prides. I have never given much thought to the Prides. Uh, I knew Katie's parents were divorced. I knew her dad died on Genosha, uh, but I've just never given it a lot of thought. I think vaguely I remembered he was pretty involved in the Kitty Pride Wolverine limited series. 
Uh, but researching these characters was fascinating. Did you have a similar experience as we kind of picked up this project of looking into the chronology of her parents? Yeah, I, you know, when we started talking about um, actually doing doing these characters, one of the things that struck me was Kitty was so young, uh, you know, when she was introduced as a character. And I I remember a lot of, of course, the, the really early stuff, um, you know, was during a time when I, I wasn't reading 100%. Yeah, yeah, we pick up the back issues. <laughs> yeah, um, but... I never really like I I remember she had parents. I think I remember like uh not wondering where they were, but the fact that they weren't particularly present and it wasn't um uh, it didn't stand out as unusual was kind of interesting to me. Like you would have expected to see them maybe even more than we did. When Claremont takes a character or creates a character, he wants you to know where they came from. He's someone that even if their childhood is based in trauma, like Cyclops or Storm, whose backstories he wrote, he wants you to know where they came from. And so many mutants, when their powers activate, they kill their parents or they're disowned by their parents. Kitty's is a unique story in that she is very loved by her parents. She has a very normal suburban upbringing uh, then Xavier gets involved. We'll, we'll get into all of that. Uh, uh, Claremont, Claremont is mostly the writer that uses these characters, the Prides. Uh, it's very rare for any other writer to even mention them in a comic book, but Claremont mentions them again and again and again. Uh, even after Kitty's dad dies, he keeps bringing her uh, grief over him back repeatedly. Uh, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, so let's start with Kitty's first appearance. Uncanny X-Men number 129. Claremont's been on the book for three or four years now, and he wants to bring in a young mutant to show us kind of a new perspective. This is long before the new mutants were launched. The X-Men used to be a school, and now they have a new young mutant being rec uh, re uh, recruited for the team. Uh, Catherine Pride lives with her parents, Carmen and Teresa, in Deerfield, Illinois. She's 14 years old. She's on her way home from dance class when her parents inform her that there is an Emma Frost there to see her. And this is back in the day when that was not good news. Uh, she wants to recruit Kitty for a special school in Massachusetts. And Kate tells her parents, Catherine at the time, that she would uh, she has another one of her bad headaches, which she's been struggling with lately, a sure sign that she's a mutant. Uh, she left the dance class early. Uh, her mom tells her to go upstairs and lie down. I'll bring you some aspirin in a minute. Uh, she walks up the stairs. She's worried about her parents maybe splitting up. Apparently, she's heard them fighting a lot recently. Uh, she falls asleep and her powers activate and she falls and phases through the floor and into the living room. Her parents walk in on her. They're worried. And Catherine assures them I'm fine. She runs back up the stairs. Uh, as the prides usher Emma Frost out, Emma thinks about how Carmen likes her school uh, Emma's school, but she might have to influence Teresa's thoughts to make her like it more. So we see a mutant who's willing to mentally manipulate people uh, in order to get what they want, which is her daughter. Uh, Emma and Charles are not that different, is what we're about to learn. Uh, Professor X then arrives with Storm, Wolverine, Colossus, and Carmen and Terry, who short for Teresa, uh, meet with them while Kitty takes the others down to the malt shop. And then Emma Frost attacks with the full Hellfire Club kidnapping the X-Men. Uh, it's quite the beginning. It's, a, it's a, a really strong introduction to this character. Tell me your thoughts on this initial appearance of Catherine Pride. Um, one of the things that, that surprised me about, um, I'm not sure it surprised me, but struck me when I was reading this issue was um, that, that there was definitely an effort to talk like a teenager and apparently teenagers all slur their words together and don't say the endings to them because everything was, you know, I could have done that, you know, coulda. And it, it, it was just really funny, especially since she's so articulate and intelligent and whatnot in our modern day comics. Um, so that one really struck me. Um, you know, reading reading the parents and particularly her thoughts about the parents um, felt very, very real to me. Um, you know, she was she was definitely um, she was 
it, it felt like someone trying to understand something that she didn't quite have the maturity to understand yet. Yeah, yeah. I think and, uh, I think when we're adolescents, we all go through things where we feel like we are the only person in the world who carries a particular weight. Your parents are fighting or divorced or mm-hmm. even through abuse, you feel like you're the only person struggling and suffering. And I, I get that element of her here. It feels very yeah. authentic to watch her 14-year-old view of this world right up until the uh, Hellfire Club attacks, of course. That's when things start yeah. to get larger than life. yeah. Well, you know, and she's definitely, she's got a little bit of awe at the people who she's hanging out with. Um, She's very transfixed by Storm. Um, And, you know, it's, it just feels very genuine. Um, Like if I was a young girl approached by the X-Men, I probably wouldn't handle myself as well as she does. Yeah. And looking from the experience of her parents, suddenly all these telepaths are knocking on their door saying, we want your daughter. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's intense you get you get kind of the, the idea that there's not a lot of mutants being born into the world at this point uh it you know when there is one that shows up everybody kind of swoops in to get them but of course there's many and they're hand selecting kitty to be pretty special which is an interesting thing uh well you know and and we get these kind of undertones that that are never quite explained like you know she's having lots of headaches are they concerned is this what they're fighting about if not, what are they fighting about? Like there are all of these undertones that we don't entirely know, which again, feels pretty genuine to, you know, a 14 year old's experience where you're kind of being pulled this way and that, and you don't know. We're going to learn later, Carmen has made a lot of bad business investments. Uh, We don't, we get a lot of uh, Carmen, we don't get a lot of Terry over the years. In fact, she's still alive and they just never show her. Kitty never has much to do with her mom, which (laughs) <laughs> which is kind of sad, but I think that's true of, of many girls. Uh, she's a beautiful woman, Terry is. Uh, Carmen looks like just a real guy you'd meet down the road with a comb over. He puts on a lot of weight over the years. <laughs> yep. Um, what happens with the Hellfire Club? Did you uh, did you enjoy rereading these issues after all these years? Oh, yeah. Well, and especially, you know, seeing Emma in her full on, I, I am an evil baddie mode is a lot of fun. She has no regrets over this. Um, you know, she's in, in, I'm going, I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but she, she's up for torture. Mm-hmm. Like, that's fine. This is totally a reasonable thing to do. This is the iconic set of issues where Emma Frost changes minds with Storm. Uh, Dazzler comes into the picture right around here, if I'm remembering right as well. Uh, so there's a lot of iconic moments in the X-Men yeah. that are taking place. Well, and Dazzler's appear, first appearance is in the next issue. So it's a one-two punch. You get 129 is Kitty, 130 is Dazzler. And this is this is like my, this is my home. I would like to live here. <laughs> these, these are my girls. And I dare you to find a more perfect pairing of one-two introductions because that's spectacular. Chris Claremont is at his peak right here. It's very, very good. Uh, Kitty's gone overnight. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna push past her adventures here because we're focusing on the prides themselves. But when she gets back in number one thirty one, her parents are there. They are on the phone with the police. They are like super upset. Her mom and I, I mean, imagine we're both parents. Imagine your kid being gone overnight. Her mom r- rushes over and like hugs Kitty and like, where have you been? And her dad is just fucking pissed. Uh, he yells at Xavier, shove it, mister. What have you been doing with my daughter? She goes off with your students and disappears. You disappear. The malt shop was burned to the ground. We thought she'd been killed till the police identified the bodies they'd found. I don't know what your game is, mister, but... And then suddenly, it's good to see you again. My wife and I were very impressed by your presentation yesterday. In fact, we've been discussing you and your school for gifted youngsters quite a lot since you left. And here we have Jean Grey uh in her you know phoenix mode altering their thoughts and memories and in a very true charles xavier kind of fashion uh saying hey it's cool for you to take our kid now like she changes their minds uh and xavier's done this with so many characters when he recruits beast he wipes the whole town's memory of beast uh you know he did this with Iceman's parents and gene gray's parents uh it's a very unethical difficult thing Uh, ultimately i think they're trying to protect them because you know someone just burned down the malt shop (laughs) right well, and and you're like, so you think that the place has been burned down, your daughter is missing. Um, I'm surprised they're not more panicked than they are. 
it's like, uh it's it's jarring and you know taking someone's will away like that is a tricky storytelling device because i think they have the right to know who their daughter is and to give them a chance to do the right thing uh but we'll talk about the ethics of telepathy in every other episode of my podcast <laughs> right although i think in this particular case like the the question is really what does Kitty want and what kind of relationship does she want to have with her parents? And does she get the opportunity to make that choice? Sure, sure. Um, but she's 14 too. Exactly. <laughs> so they take Kitty off to school and uh, we don't see the prides again until X-Men 143, which is the iconic issue with the Ungarai chasing Kitty around the mansion. Uh, I, I got to review this with Ariana Mar for the Ungarai show on the Patreon if you've had a chance to listen to that. Uh, and the Prides show up to visit Kitty at the school, not knowing she has just like fought for her life against a demon. Uh, and she's like, Dad, you grew a beard. And they spend Hanukkah with their daughter. It's a cute little kind of one-off appearance. But that's my favorite, I think, if I had to choose one single favorite Kitty Pride issue, it's that one. Uncanny X-Men 143. I love that issue. It's been a long time since I've read that. And, you know, when I saw it in, in your summary, I was like, you know what, I'm I'm not going to get to it before the podcast, but I'm going to get to it afterwards because it was so good. It's so good. Uh, and Ariana and I had just a delightful time reviewing the Ungarai, which, you know, kind of, be well, it doesn't begin there, but begins for the X-Men there. Uh, right. Those little crazy demons. I've got I've got some Ungarai art coming for my wall from uh, uh, Andrew Drillin soon. I'm super excited. It's going to be. Oh, how great. fun. Uh, and then they show up again. In Uncanny number 151, there's a surprise announcement from Professor X. Uh, do you want to read his announcement to us? Uh, he just kind of wakes him up and says... Yeah, he just says, I'm afraid I have some bad news. Kitty's parents have decided to withdraw her from the school. They realize that Kitty li likes it here, that she's doing well academically, but they believe it would be more advantageous for her to, to attend a school whose pupils were more her own age. She's to leave us within the week. So sad. And Kitty like rushes down the hall in tears and she realizes she's being transferred to the Massachusetts Ac Academy with Emma Frost as her teacher. And this is not a good move for Kitty. She does not like it with the Hellions. Uh, yeah. It's temporary. Turns out Emma was messing with their minds. So what the Phoenix and Professor X can do, Emma Frost can also do because the X-Men world is dripping with telepaths. <laughs> they like grow on trees. There's so many. It's a really common power set. I feel like one is enough. But the Quiet Council, I think, uh, has five. That's <laughs> why they're quiet. The they don't need to speak out loud. <laughs> Yay. Uh, I had a moment with, this is totally non sequitur. I had a moment with a client today who was talking about bad dreams. And mm -hmm. uh, like, particularly uh, like a trauma dream about her parents. I can't give details, obviously. Sure. And then I said, you know where dreams come from, right? And bad dreams come from. And she goes, from your subconscious? And I said, no, they come from Satan. And she she took me seriously for just a moment and then just burst out laughing, which was exactly what she needed in that moment. But your comment about the quiet council just now gave me that feeling in my heart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in Uncanny X-Men annual number six, this is a big moment for Teenage Kitty Pride. Uh, what does she learn, Carrie Harris? Uh, her parents are getting a divorce and um, you know it, it's a very much a, a typical teenage this is because of me it is my fault and she throws an absolute tantrum yeah she throws their picture against the wall she screams at the x-men and yeah she's like what does this mean for me like this changes my whole future uh, oh boy kitty do you have a lot of complicated romantic relationships ahead with so many men named peter <laughs> <laughs> steer away from the peters kitty who, who uh who's your favorite kitty pride relationship um um well i suppose it depends on exactly how you define relationship but i'm gonna uh, i'm iliana <laughs> It's not romantic, but of course it is. Yes, it is. Uh, okay, so you can answer this personally as Kitty Pride yourself. Uh, fuck, Mary kill. Peter Rasputin. Peter Wisdom. <sighs> Peter Quill. Those are all, those are three, Kitty's three Peter boyfriends. Although I think she went on a date with Spider-Man once, if I'm remembering. Oh. 
seat. Oh, God. <laughs> I love putting people in these difficult moral positions. Well, do you know what I really want to say? I really want to say it's either fuck them all or kill them all. That's not how the game is played, Carrie Harris. I can break the rules. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I mean, I would marry Peter Rasputin. And I would fuck Peter Quill and I would kill Peter Wisdom. Those are my answers. Yeah. I mean, I guess the thing is, you don't, this is Marvel. You don't have to stay married forever. Cause I don't think that they're, she and Colossus are good to a point. And then I think they drive each other, like they're going to drive each other nuts. But you're not going to, yeah. Yeah, you probably have the. They're the relationship that have just they've just tried too many times. It's just been so frequent, and it ends badly every time. Well, and it started when she was so young and idealistic, and it's hard to get past that. Mm-hmm. And I also, love her with his sister. I kind of love her with Star Lord, though. It's a terrible yes, decision. It definitely <laughs> has that swashbuckly. Um. The thing that I don't like about Star-Lord is he takes her off of Earth. But Kitty Pride in space, she gets to be Star-Lord. Oh, I did all my AKAs earlier. Kitty Pride, AKA Star-Lord. She was also yeah. Star-Lord for a while. We'll get to the trial of Kitty Pride one day. It'll take a while. Sign <laughs> me up now. You are invited, but it's a couple years out. We, we're, I'm, I'm slow burning my way through the 60s and early 70s for a minute. Well, and there are also plenty of better people to put on trial I think well because Kitty is naturally innocent of everything you uh, absolutely (laughs) the point of the trials is to do a very strong character focused episode maxi episode on one person that we love (laughs) that's the that's the point the the trial is is uh, a nerdy reason to get together (laughs) It's it's a trial but really she's just acquitted on all charges except well like we could find her guilty of awesomeness or like bad taste in men Okay, that's fair. That's fair too. Uh, okay, so in Uncanny X-Men 180, there's a brief comment by Kitty as she's just yelling at Storm. Like, my parents can't keep their commitments. They betrayed each other. Uncanny X-Men 199, and this is a big one. Kitty goes to the Holocaust Memorial to honor her grandfather, Samuel Prideman. So their, their name has been adapted from Prideman to Pride. It's been anglicized. And he had just died the previous year. And as she's at the memorial, she gives this impassioned speech as a representative uh, of the Jewish descendants of the concentration camp, speaking for this particular man. This is a beautiful and wild issue. This is one of the boldest issues I think Chris Claremont has ever uh, put out, uh, given what happens. Uh, Do you want to read her speech at the uh, the memorial here uh, in Uncanny 199? Um, I don't have that in my notes. Oh, no, it's okay. I've got it pulled up here. She says, uh, she's, and I, I want to be clear here. I am relatively competent about the Jewish culture in America and the history of Jewish people in that I am well-researched and I'm a therapist who has treated Jewish people and I have Jewish friends. But I view all of this, of course, from a white, gay, foreman, former Mormon lens, which is my worldview on most things. And as much as I try to seek cultural understanding and everything, uh, these are very sensitive issues that should be very carefully and delicately discussed. Uh, this is, a, this is a, 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 an impassioned story right here. She says uh, at the pulpit, I'm Catherine Pride. I'm from Chicago. I'm here for my grandfather, Samuel Prideman. He wanted to be here more than anything, but he died last year. He had a sister, my great aunt Haba. She lived in Warsaw before the war. He tried to find her, but there was no record anywhere. It was like she'd been erased, as if she'd never been. And suddenly a couple in the crowd named David and Ruth Shulman rush forward. They knew Haba. They say she'd been married and taken the last name Rosanoff. They say, we were in the resistance together after the Warsaw ghetto uprising. We were sent to Auschwitz. She died there. And these are stories that are also reflected in the Magneto Testament story that you and I talk about in the first Magneto trial. Uh, They also recognize Magneto, who helped save their lives in the camp. 
and then Freedom Force fucking attacks at the Holocaust Memorial to arrest Magneto. It's a crazy story. We'll delve into the rest of it another time, but we get some indelible heart to Kitty and her family in this. Uh, what do we learn here about her? And about her father in particular. Yeah, yeah. And I think her father, her father is an interesting character because of how he changes and develops through the through the comics for somebody who has so little page time, you know, that when we talk about the, um, you know, the grandfather and the, and the missing aunt um, and, and what that means for how you grow up and uh, what that means to Kitty um, as someone who has to, to stand there and, and provide that voice. Um, yeah, it's just uh, kind of like you said, I can't, um, I can't directly speak to that experience, but man, I sure felt it when I read it. Yeah. And it's not really brought up a lot after this, but it, there's something very special about Claremont tying this character in this way. Uh, okay. it's interesting. Uh, then we get to the seminal and wonderful uh, Kitty Pride and Wolverine limited series. It's almost like Chris Claremont needed to power her up a little bit. We needed a story device to make her a more effective kind of kick-ass character. And he did it in such a great way. Uh, we're going to talk about Ogun here, but uh, I referenced that Extreme X-Men number one issue that just came out, which reflects directly on this story, the Ogun-Kitty Pride relationship. I care, will you tell us about Kitty Pride and Wolverine? It's such a good series. It sure is. Um, so Kitty uh, is determined to spend some time with her dad. Um, and she actually sneaks in to the bank um, because she's concerned. Her mom has has written her, um, told her, you know, her parents are divorced, but it's bad enough that her mother has written her and said, you know, dad's having it rough. And uh, in particular, he's having it rough with financial troubles. He's the president of a bank. And this is a family bank. And given what we've just learned about the family, that's a big deal. Which and is an interesting story device because we often get kind of racist thoughts about rich Jews who have big companies that they pass from family member to family member. Uh, but Kermit yeah. does it in a really seamless way. Yeah. And um, uh and, and I think it's also interesting that he has just sold the bank. Um, you know, so his problems have, have led him to sell uh, this bank that has been in his family for generations. That's a big deal, especially considering uh, the loss of his dad. But he sold the bank to a Mr. Ogun from Japan. Because he's trying and to get rich quick. That's right. <laughs> Never a good plan. <laughs> Well, and, and Kitty's snuck into the bank. She's phased in through the door behind the guard, um, you know, and, and hears, uh, hears them arguing through the door. She hears slapping um, and, and kind of bursts in really without thinking and interrupts them. Um, but her well, dad... Yeah, you, can't, you can't keep out a girl that phases through the wall. That's right. <laughs> Well, and her dad's trying to protect her. At first, he's trying to put her off. Oh, this is my daughter. You don't, don't worry about her. She's no big deal. Um, the, the bad guys who Kitty is like, eh, at some point she starts thinking, are these like mobsters? Are they pushing him around? I can't remember if this, if she quite gets there yet. Um, but uh, they in invite her to Japan to meet with the big boss along with dad. And dad says, oh no, she doesn't need to go. She has to go back to school. We're gonna, we're gonna adjust things and send her back to that school that you wanted to go to. And this is essentially, I'm gonna give you what you want in order to keep you out of trouble is what it read like to me. Um, and she leaves and Carmen, the dad, is taken away by Ogun's men. Uh, this is over the course of multiple issues, but uh, Carmen agrees 
to launder funds for the Yakuza through his bank. Uh, this is how he's going to pay off all of his debts. And, um, you know, he's in deep. Kitty is listening. She has stowed aboard um, the airplane by phasing. And then uh, she's trying to avoid getting squished by all the suitcases, but she can't phase because she'll phase out the bottom of the plane, which I just love. <laughs> which she probably could do now, but back then that might have been dangerous. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit of a control issue there. Um, so she attacks the Yakuza. Um, and then things get a little bit too hot. Um, she leaves, leaving her father still there. Uh, the Yakuza beat him up. They threaten to hurt Kitty. They're going to kill her. Um, he's being held hostage. And um, he's he's drinking. Um now we're starting to see, see now we're starting to see why Terry left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's not really handling all of this well. He's definitely um there are a lot of things that he could have done better. Um you know, the question is how did he how did he get in deep with the Yakuza? Um you know, at some point, Kitty kind of calls him out and says, hey, you've become one of the bad guys. This is not good. Um, but essentially, you have uh, Yukio and Wolverine show up. Uh, they're trying to help Kitty. I love Yukio. Yes. I love this character. Yes. Um, and I love her and Wolverine together because she does not take his shit. And I love her and Storm together. Anyway, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> um, so, uh, so they show up. They're trying to fix things. But in the meantime, Kitty has been taken hostage. And she's been brainwashed by Ogun into becoming a ninja. So he, he has this ability where he can kind of imbue his spirit into yours. He wants to live for a long time in her young and able-bodied self. And so he's kind of filtered his spirit into hers. God, and... Claremont makes a good villain. He, this guy's oh, kind yeah. of an ancillary X-Men villain, but he keeps coming back again and again. He's so creepy. Well, and it's a super cool scene because she's stuck. She can't move. She can't phase. And she can't see him. And he keeps darting in and he's cutting things off of her. Like he cuts, and it's not gratuitous like that, you know, it's a certain period of time where you would have the female character be the hostage and they would cut all of her clothes off. Sure. That's, this is not that. This is, you know, like he cuts part of her sleeves off. He cuts off her hair, all of it, one piece by piece. And it, it's essentially like he's he's taking away all of the, the things that are important to her. Um, so they rescue, well, they fight Kitty. Kitty stabs Wolverine in the chest. Uh, things are not going well. Um, and Carmen, uh, dad, is trying to chase down Kitty. Mostly he's complaining. And at some point Yukio is, says essentially, I've had enough. Yeah, I kind of hate this character in this issue. He's he's super whiny and kind of ineffective. He's whiny and ineffective. He's also spends most of his time ordering around the people who are trying to help his daughter. Yeah, Wolverine does not suffer this fool. <laughs> no, no. Um, and uh, they they get Kitty back. They kind of break the surface of the brainwashing but she still has these urges that are definitely not hers so wolverine starts to train her and essentially uh his idea is he's going to train her but give her a choice which ogun doesn't so at every stage she has to choose what she's going to do and she chooses just to be herself um so we get a magic story that makes her a crazy cool ninja but she gets to stay a hero <laughs> <laughs> yeah well done Claremont well done no kidding 
Well, and, and like you said, you know, since we're kind of talking about the parents, mom is nowhere to be seen. And dad in this series is makes questionable choices. He's not overtly bad. He definitely, he's trying to protect his daughter, but he's not willing to take the hit. And we could get him. There's a spot where Wolverine's criticizing him and he yells, uh, like the the American taxpayer in me totally understands this rage. He yells, I'm not ashamed of what I did in Deerfield in reference to selling his bank or like selling out to the Yakuza. Yeah. When the recession hit, I saw people I'd known my entire life, good, decent, hardworking families being chewed up by forces over which they had no control. I couldn't stand that. I refused to be a part of it. So I and my bank tried to help. And Wolverine yells back, in the beginning, you acted from the purest of motives. Good for you. But when things went sour and you signed up with Shigematsu, knowing what he was, when the choice was him or disgrace in jail, that choice was to save your own skin. Not quite so noble, eh, bub? Now you got to live with the consequences. Uh, and Carmen says, I never meant for Katie to get involved. And Wolverine yells, what'd you expect? She's your daughter, chump. She loves you more. She believed in you. She ain't a born cynic like Yukio and me. She figured you to be the victim. It never entered your head that you could be one of the villains. She assumed her old man would be at least as tough and brave as she, but you let her down pride all the way. Yeah. It's intense. Well, and I find it really, like, one of the things about Kitty's parents is because they're not on the page very often and she's so young, she kind of has these... Um, parental figures and Wolverine is one of them so the fact that he's the one who's calling out her dad because he's he kind of fills in mm -hmm. and he's not um, yeah I, and I love that and out of everybody he's the one who's able to teach her how to be herself again by giving her the space and the safety to do that well, and the, the trauma Kitty's going through here is directly re related to Carmen's choices. She yeah. wouldn't have been involved with this guy had Carmen not sold himself out here. Yeah. Uh, so. he, he believes this stuff about himself, though, too. When you get to his inner thoughts, he's really just ripping himself to shreds. Now, I've got to live with my choices now. It doesn't matter how I got here. Uh, my daughter's going to die uh, he kind of feels like he needs to sacrifice himself in order to save her. And at one moment he thinks, oh, Kitty, my darling, lovely girl, I wish I had a fraction of your courage. Uh, and then he turns himself, at the end of the story, he turns himself over to the police. I know I'm skipping over a few things, but uh, he gives them intel about this crime. So they can go over the Yakuza, go after the Yakuza, and uh, he's going to go to jail. But he ends up not getting arrested because uh, he made this deal. And uh, right. it's... I don't know. Uh, what did I skip on this story? We missed a few moments, I know. But <laughs> we did. But I mean, I really, I think for me, the idea is that, you know, Kitty has gotten into this problem because Carmen got her into it. You know, he's the one who caused the problem. And it's a very interesting dynamic because you've got that. You've got, he's the father Kitty has. Wolverine comes in and, and is the father Kitty needs. And then she and Wolverine together help Carmen to remember essentially that he's what he's made of. Because we learn later that he is, he has been a bit of a hero. Yeah. You know, he wasn't always this uh, self-absorbed, foolish. I'm not quite sure what word to, to use. This story, more than anything, is the moment Kitty turns from, like, teen into adult. Yeah. Uh, it's this trauma. Like, she thought losing her parents was a trauma. Or her parents divorcing, I mean. Uh, all the all the danger she's faced, the demons she's conquered. But this guy gets in her head. And again, this is the Claremont story I just read yesterday. Ogan lives in her mind for years. And she doesn't even know he's there. Oh, you say Ogun, which is such a better way to say it. <laughs> you might be right. I uh... I anglicize everything, of course. I have to like learn proper pronunciations. Uh, but it's a powerful story. And it's kind of the first time the X-Men do not give a lot of love to the parental figures. They're mentioned, they're seen in the background, but this is a story that's largely about Carmen and his daughter. With, with the exception of Corsair uh, with Cyclops, uh, this is kind of the first big one. 
Yeah. I'm going to interrupt you really fast. Could you hear the dog going crazy? <laughs> I can. Let's pause. I'll let you take care of it. Yeah. All right. So once we get past Kitty Pride Wolverine, we jump to 1994, uh, Excalibur number 76. So this is after the X-Men are believed dead. Kitty's joined the team of Excalibur and we're like 76 issues into it. We're covering a lot of history before her parents ever show up again. It's years before they're even mentioned. But in 1994, in a Scott Dell issue, Kitty misses a call from her dad. Uh, he just basically says, Catherine, this is your father. This won't make any sense just now. And I can't go into it, but I just want you to know I love you. I always will. Very cryptic. And it's like it's like there was a story brewing, but it never went anywhere. Like it got dropped. Yeah. And I think Excalibur got kind of reabsorbed into the main X-Men line kind of right about this time. And the stories kind of got shanghaied. Uh, Kitty ended up going back to the X-Men team right after this. Uh, then in 2001, so another seven years later, new X-Men 115, the Grant Morrison story, Cassandra Nova uses her, this is the infamous story where the twin of Professor X uses nano sentinels to wipe out 16 million mutants on the island of Genosha. And it's almost just a passing mention, but among the people there is Kitty Pride's father, even though he's not even seen. Uh, and then after this, we get about a dozen stories by Chris Claremont. All of them are about Kitty grieving over her dad, just one after another after another over a period of about 20, 25 years. Uh, one of the most seminal is uh, uh, X-Men Unlimited number 36, the first story. And this is from 2002. It's a Claremont story. Uh, do you want to tell us about this one, Carrie? Yeah, yeah. This is, um, you know, Kitty is in, in college. Um, she's, she's working in a bar. She's kind of trying to find herself on her own, not she's, being an X-Man. And she's back in Chicago. Yep. And... Um, she's searching for footage of her father and the reason that she's doing it she's talking about who he was and she says my dad had medals and citations and in all the time we were together he never said a word I want him back so badly I don't want to be grown up I don't want to be a superhero I just want my daddy and uh, so she's searching and searching. You get this montage where she's uh, she's focused on this video footage. People are calling her. She hasn't shown up for, to work. She hasn't shown up to class. And finally, she finds him. Um, and it's right before the Sentinel struck. He looks at the camera and he says, I love you, Kitty. Make me proud. It's like he knows the attack is coming. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, I mean, really the question is what could he do? Like, did he know? What? Like there's a whole untold story there. And I think it's actually kind of better that it's untold. And I'm so happy it's Claremont that gives us this story. It's after all these years, it just kind of gets glossed over. And then Claremont's the one that makes Kitty finally emotionally react to the death of her father. Her thoughts at the end of this, she says, I love you too, daddy, now and for always. Wherever you are, I want you to know this one was for you. Uh, she loves her dad and he died and it sucks and she's grieving. Despite all the loss she's seen, this is personal. Well, and, and despite... You know, I, I think one of the things you said about the um, Kitty and Wolverine series is essentially that this is where she becomes an adult, but it's not just her, um, you know, dealing with the, the whole possession kind of thing, mind control, whatever word you want to use, but also realizing that her parents are flawed. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, she has to come to terms with that and then realize that you can still love that person who is flawed yeah um, and, so it's really the, gorgeous well and the idea of learning about who your parents are after they die which is something so many people go through uh if you lost your parents early on or if they were just kind of private people uh chris claremont writes a limited series it's one of the most bizarrely titled series ever in x-men history it's called mechanics m-e-k-a-n-i-x 2002 yeah. Uh, it's it's a series that I haven't read and I never think about. If I think about all the X-Men books, I'd list a hundred before this one even came to mind, but it's good. It's a good series. And it's very much about adult Kitty Pride kind of finding her way as a single woman in Chicago, but she's also grieving her dad. 
She's in yeah. therapy and she opens up her, about her family. She talks about her dad having been in Vietnam, how he lied about his age in order to list into the Marines. And after her first session, she's just sobbing and reading her speech here. She says, I want my dad. I want him to hold me like he did when I was little and tell me I'm safe. He would have died for me. Instead, he died because of me, because of what I am, because I wasn't there to save him. I have such a great imagination and a memory like nobody's business. Why can't I remember any of the good times? Why is it when I close my eyes, I see the last moments of his life? Why won't it stop hurting? I'm so scared, daddy. I'm so alone. I don't know if I would buy this vulnerable kitty pride from any writer except for Chris Claremont. Uh, but he gives us a very core vulnerability to this character that works. It's okay. Uh, but it's so heartbreaking. Uh, uh, she's uh, back in therapy in number two. She talks about him more. Uh, she's talking about how he lived his whole life, never telling her he was a veteran. Uh, her whole life feels like a lie because her dad was never truthful about his life. Uh, she talks about how her parents used to fight all the time. I'm not going to get into the rest of mechanics. It's wild. There's some crazy shit that happens to Kitty here. But uh, tell me your thoughts about I, I, the Kitty's relationship with her dad here. This idea of the secret keeping and how it affects her. It's so sad. It is so sad. And I think you're right that that it is um, it's it's a very um, strangely vulnerable moment that does work. And I think part of the reason is because it wasn't forced. This isn't five minutes after he died and now we're going to have this big dramatic speech kind of thing. This is the kind of thing where you have to you know, you, you live for a while and you come to terms with it. And finally, you have the perspective to to parse this out especially because you've grown up you know you're not a kid anymore and uh, for me it, it was it was beautiful because it didn't feel forced um and and because she was allowed to grow up it wouldn't have worked if those things hadn't been true don't you think I do definitely think, and again, Kitty is a multifaceted character who's explored by multiple writers over decades of time, like a lot of the X-Men characters. And I love that we get a vulnerable side to her. I love that we get her at her core grieving about her father sometimes. And Claremont reflects on this again and again whenever he gets the chance to tell these stories, short stories or long stories. Uh, I'm so bugged that like in the current Krakone era, we haven't seen Jean Grey miss her family. She, we haven't seen her react to the fact that they were slaughtered or that her niece and nephew could be brought back. I don't like it when we see this trauma ignored. I would love to see an issue about Scott and Alex sitting down and reminiscing about their mom and their childhood because she was so horribly taken away. Uh, these vulnerability stories, I think, really resonate with readers, and I think we need more of them. We deserve a lot of these stories. Uh, when you write your book about uh, Triage and Tempest, as an example, it gives us context to their parents, their psychology, where they grew up. A lot of these stories don't get explored in the comics because there's so little real estate. And Claremont takes the time for it. Uh, after Claremont left the books in the early 90s, he keeps coming back over and over in new places. Mechanics, he wrote Extreme X-Men. He comes back to Uncanny for a while. Uh, he gives us a bunch of stories with the Neo. Uh, one of his more surprising places is Excalibur Volume 3, which is a book based in the ruins of Genosha. And there's a story, and this is truly wild for Carmen Pride's character. Uh, Charles Xavier is in the ruins, and he's facing the threat of the Scarlet Witch. We'll talk, well, go listen to the Scarlet Witch trial. We go into all sorts of details. We love Wanda, and there's a lot of problematic portrayals of her in the early 2000s. But uh, Doctor Strange goes into Charles's memories to try to find Wanda, who's like hiding in the areas of his mind where he stores his most shame. Truly crazy story. And we see a flashback to Charles in his memories with Doctor Strange and Wanda as ancillary parts of where we're going with this. Uh, when he was enlisted as a soldier years before, this is back during the era when he was like, uh, Juggernaut gets created during this time. Uh, we have stories that Claremont tells about Xavier experiencing the deaths of fellow soldiers telepathically. This is before Xavier was paralyzed. There's a there's a, a a part of Xavier that's really deep here that we don't often see explored. There's a there's a whole like wartime Xavier that we don't often see. Among his fellow soldiers are Logan, Wolverine, and one of them is Carmen Pride, and they're in Vietnam which in the Marvel universe, because of the sliding timescale is now officially called the, the Viet, 
oh my goodness, the Sin Kong conflict is what it's called. Because you have to slide everything up decades. And so they have this fictional character or fictional country called Sin Kong that now encompasses all of the Vietnam history instead. Anyway, uh, Carmen is a fellow soldier of Charles and Wolverine, which is nuts. Because when Wolverine yells at Carmen in the Kitty Pride Wolverine series, turns out they knew each other, but maybe Wolverine doesn't remember. Uh, anyway, Carmen keeps talking about Teresa, the girl he's got back home waiting for him. Uh, he says out loud, if I ever have a son, I'll name him Charlie after Xavier. And if I ever have a daughter, her name's going to be Kate after Teresa's mother. And I think this is the first time we ever learned that Kate's named after her grandmother. Uh, he even asks that uh, Carmen asks Charles, if, you know, if I make it home, uh, I want you to be my best man. So they knew each other before they were born. And then maybe Xavier altered his memories and made him forget, or maybe the Phoenix or Emma did it. I don't know. So anyway, back in the present, Charles reflects to Strange that, you know, Carmen died here in Genosha. And uh, I, I wanted to come back here and make his daughter proud again. It's a truly wild flashback. I don't even know quite why we needed it or what it adds to the character, but it's kind of powerful in a weird way. Uh, tell me your thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's it's an interesting idea. I kind of got the same feeling that I got with the phone call, which was that, that there was maybe a larger story planned, maybe something that was intended to, you know, plant something in the flashback for it to happen in the modern day because otherwise why would you do that um because it's a whole lot of retconning things that that don't have a payoff in the modern day and generally if you're going to go to that trouble uh you're doing it because you need to make something work in the in the current timeline right yeah yeah so um it was it was interesting to see him young and to think about uh, how those puzzle pieces would fit together and not even just like we knew each other or met each other but like I want you to be yeah. the best man at my wedding and also Wolverine's here yeah. <laughs> it's so weird but again it's I, mean, clear I trust his vision well and it's a war of course Wolverine is here uh and then we get like to... have... oh go ahead I'm sorry no I was just gonna say some stupid thing about the whole Wolverine meme where it's you know he's in every comic <laughs> sometimes people say like chad you've really covered a lot of ground on your podcast and i'm like yes also wolverine's not here yet <laughs> like we have a lot to, we have a long history ahead oh yeah um then we get the wedding issue x-men gold number 30 this is x-men gold volume two uh this is not my favorite series it's got some moments but there's a uh, it's one of my least favorite x-men runs but we do get the kitty colossus almost wedding when kitty ends up leaving him at the altar did you get a chance to read this issue again it's uh it's it's a big one yeah it's been a while uh no go ahead oh as you say my favorite moment is as kitty's getting married or getting ready for the wedding she gets stevie hunter kind of doing her makeup and her mom is there Teresa shows up for the first time in 30 years and storm is there and uh, Teresa gives that like mom moment. My mom does this all the time because she's like super over sincere. Like, I swear her father and I just drove her home from the hospital yesterday. My mom likes to give like really like sincere moments about like, our child. Oh, yeah. Time. Uh, and Storm says, funny, I was just thinking about the, the same thing about taking her for ice cream. She was just a child. And Kitty turns to all three of these women, Stevie Hunter, who I love and we have not had a chance to explore on the pod yet. She turns to Storm, Stevie, and her mom, and she says, it just dawned on me. I'm here with the three women who raised me. Three strong, wonderful women. It's a beautiful scene uh, in a kind of underwhelming series. <laughs> tell, tell me your thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, like I've said, the thing about Kitty's parents that strikes me the most, especially after reading all of these, is, is that they were present at a distance but she also had all of these, you know, supplemental found parents. So the fact that that she gave each of them um, credit yeah. without robbing any of the others was a, was a really beautiful moment. I uh, love this like mom role for Storm with Kitty. Oh yeah, so cute. Oh yeah. Um, the, uh, the last three I'm going to cover very quick. Oh, oh, uh, Kitty, uh, Kitty's mom also walks her down the aisle, which is another moment in this issue that I really love. That's special. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Teresa needs more airtime. I feel like we need to know more about her. <laughs> well, especially with all that dad trauma that she's got and the whole, you know, grieving the loss of her dad. What does her mom think about all of this? Like she's, she's got an opportunity to connect with the one parent she's got left and so far hasn't seemed to have taken it. Claremont gives us three more kitty grieving stories. Uh, and these are the most recent appearances of the prides or at least most recent mentions. Uh, the Merry X-Men holiday special is a series of like one page stories about different X-Men characters around the holidays. And Claremont with uh, Terry and Rachel Dodson gives us a one page tribute to Kitty. It's really beautiful. She's celebrating Hanukkah. Lockheed is on her shoulders. Uh, she's lighting a menorah and she's grieving her dad. And the, the mutant Wicked, who's like the mutant that carries the ghosts of Genosha is sitting behind her watching. So you get this idea of like her dad's spirit is there, which is kind of cute. Wicked is not a character we see often in the comics and is frankly very deserving of a Patreon episode someday. Uh, and then in Astonishing X-Men volume three, number 13, Kitty, this is another Claremont story. Kitty has a terrible dream about her father, uh, about finding her dad, only for him to like fade away in like bloody mists. And he's like, I blame you for my death, which is a terrible nightmare. And then finally in 2018, in a, in a book called X-Men, The Wedding Special, uh, Chris Claremont gives us another Kitty story where she's making peace with like the ghosts of her past. And she sees like the ghost of her father and lets him go. So he brings back this grief of her dad over and over again. Uh, he was not the one to kill Carmen. <laughs> Almost every story about this family comes from Chris Claremont. And that in itself is very special to me. It shows you how much he loves Kitty Pride and where she comes from. Uh, as we kind of wrap up our thoughts, what does the Pride family teach us about Kitty herself? Uh, she has a whole history here, a whole family. They've uh, they made her who she is in many ways. Yeah, and I mean, I think even with the the tragedy of losing her dad and and some of the poor choices that he makes, she still is somewhat unique in that uh, the problems that he has are fairly like in the. Uh, if, if you look at the ranking of poor choices by parents in the X-Men, he's very low on that list. Sure. Um, you know, he's, he's made some mistakes, but generally speaking, he, you know, he's, he's done a pretty good job. Um, and, and Terry too, although she's less, um, less present. I think really it's it's more the relationship with with Carmen um, that that really gets explored, but that it really contributes to the fact that Kate is a fairly normal person with a bit of a tragedy in her family, and uh, I know I can relate to that. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you know it it feels very real. To go back to where we started, Kitty Pride is bisexual, she's a mutant, she's a warrior and a ninja and a teacher and a pirate and a, 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 a hero, and she's a daughter. And I think yeah. this is an element of her character that is really crucial to our understanding of this very complex, wonderful character who is just one of people's all-time favorite X-Men. She's a wonderful, and I love her. Ditto. I mean, uh, if that wasn't obvious. <laughs> I love doing these focused episodes on the families because it just it just isn't done. We never take it from this perspective. Uh, when I did the episode on Storm's parents, it completely changed my understanding of Storm. And this changes my understanding of Kitty in a less direct way, but it gives me just a nuance into her, into her character that's not normally emphasized. Uh, it, her sense of family and the way she relates to the X-Men is directly and indelibly related to the loss she's been through and how she connects to her parents. Uh, and she's a she's like the, the descendant of a, of a Holocaust survivor, right? Like it's a, yeah. it's a deal, the whole thing. It's wonderful. Well, and I'm such a Kitty Pride fan, but I kind of felt the same way. Like I didn't expect, um, you know, digging into the parents to, to really, I don't even know if I knew what to expect, but you pitched it to me and you would think I would be like, oh, Kitty Pride, yes. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't realize how informative and 
and interesting it was going to be. Yeah, when uh, when Chris Claremont latches onto a story and a character, he loves them indelibly. And this is an oh, important yeah. this is an important part of Kitty for him, and thus it needs to be an important part of Kitty for us. Wolverine's kind of her dad, and Storm's kind of her mom, and Stevie Hunter's kind of her mom, and there's all these people that are involved in her life. But she comes from these people and this story, and it's great. Yeah. It is. Uh, Carrie Harris, I adore you. I think you are wonderful. I'm so happy to have you as my friend. Uh, as we're kind of wrapping up here, uh, we're, we're going to be putting this out in mid-December. Is there anything you're able to plug? And where can people find you online if they would like to? Um, let's see. Uh, find me online is right now is still Twitter. Um, I'm Carr Carr. I don't think Twitter's going anywhere. It's just not what it was. <laughs> I don't think it is either. I think I'll still keep Twitter. Um, I'm Carr Carr, C-A-R-R-H-A-R-R. But I might add i might i might do more um probably after the beginning of the year when i'm back to work full time um but uh, i'm also at carrieharrisbooks.com and um i think you mentioned already that i will have a comic short in the negative space anthology um about a writer with um imposter syndrome and the poltergeists who help her get over it and a couple of other projects in the works that are like 95% gonna happen. So please cross everything that will cross for me um, that I will have exciting announcements come the beginning of the year. That's wonderful. Go read Carrie's books. Uh, her book on triage and Tempest is wonderful. Her book on witches is maybe my favorite, but I also love your Avengers book. Uh, I think you're just lovely. Uh, it's such an honor to, uh, to have you as a friend, my friend. Uh, around this time, we're putting this out on the 18th. We're going to be releasing an episode of the podcast featuring Sean McKeever. Uh, who is so great. We laugh so much. Uh, reviewing uh, the Jay Edidin uh, Cyclops origin story in Marvel Snapshot Cyclops number one, which talks about Cyclops being neurodivergent. We love this issue. It's great. Uh, the next Patreon episode after this, depending on how scheduling works out, is either going to be Brainchild with Danny Lore or Asp, the character from the Serpent Society with Matt Horak. I have to be so careful to put the p at the end of Asp. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, uh, I love both of these characters for very different reasons. Brainchild is the problematic leader of the uh, Savage Land Mutates who tries to body, like, terrorize Storm so often. And Asp is like a sex positive stripper, sex worker, mutant who is amazing. I love, I love them both for different reasons. Uh, well, Carrie, thank you so much for your time uh, and talents. Happy holidays, my friend. Thank you, you too. And I'm sorry for my psychotic dog in the background. We have lots of people in the house and he is having a difficult time with that. Our recording that I put out today ends with Tristan's cat pleasuring itself. Yes. <laughs> and now today we get your puppy in the background. I'm super fine with animals. He's, he's, an, he's not even a puppy. He's a cranky old man. <laughs> he is uh, essentially uh, saying, get off my lawn over and over and over again my my dog is super calm around some dogs and like just a bitch <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's okay uh all right my friend thank you happy holidays have a wonderful night and uh we'll see you soon you too okay bye everybody see you back next time